Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you know that when it comes to walking, what we really want is for you to come and walk with us and and bless our plans. But we know that what you want from us is for us to walk with you, to follow your plans. And so, God, what we want is for you to show us how. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why is it that we walk away? The truth of the matter is that there are times when we should walk away. Predators get a signal that it's time to walk away. The term is apostemitism, and apostemitism means the use of a signal, and especially a visual signal of conspicuous markings or bright colors by an animal to warn predators that it is toxic or distasteful. Now, what apostemitism is all about is animals being colored brightly or shaped oddly to say to a potential predator, I'm poisonous, I'm a bad mouthful, you don't want any of this. And Predators get the message when they see some of these signals and they walk away from it. For instance, this is a tree frog that that is brightly colored and the coloration on this tree frog warns potential predators, I'm poisonous. And the predators get the message and the predators walk away. That's why they walk away. But sometimes predators walk away when they shouldn't walk away. Here's another tree frog that lives in the very same region, and it is colored almost identically, and yet it's harmless. And this tree frog would make a great mouthful for a predator. But the predators see those cues. They read danger when there is none, and they walk away. Sometimes predators walk away when they shouldn't. And sometimes we walk away when we shouldn't. Abraham walked away from God. Abraham faced a problem, and he decided to solve that problem on his own rather than to trust God. And so in taking matters into his own hands, Abraham walked away from God. Now, what does it look like to walk away? What does it mean to walk away? To understand what it means to walk away from God, you have to understand first what it means to be walking with God. To be walking with God is an image I'm using in this series to speak of following Jesus and to seek intentionally to be obedient to Jesus and to do so diligently for a lifetime. But to walk with God that way requires energy and effort. And so sometimes 
in a fallen world, we find ourselves wanting to stop. Sometimes we find ourselves getting tired in a sinful and fallen world. And so what does it look like then to walk away from God? And I want to give you some signs that, that, that it looks like to walk away from God. And the first is to distance oneself emotionally. Now, you'll recognize that our spiritual lives with God have high points and low points, times when we feel closer to God and times when we feel more distant emotionally from God. But sometimes when we begin to feel emotionally distant from God, we let that distance become a life habit. And eventually, instead of feeling warmly about God, we have a coldness in our relationship with God. That can be a walking away from God. Sometimes we walk away from God by disobeying God. Now, in a fallen world, it's true that we sin. But when we sin, usually we turn to God. We have fallen down. We turn to God. We ask for forgiveness. We accept God's help in picking us back up. We start walking with him again, and we intend to continue walking with him. But sometimes... When we sin, when we stumble, when we fall, we find that we like what we've just done. And sinning and disobeying God becomes a habit, something we do habitually and even at times intentionally. And we find ourselves walking the opposite direction from God. And it also looks like stopping obeying God to walk away from him. Because you see, sometimes... As followers of Jesus, walking with God makes us tired, and we just don't want to do what it takes to walk with God any longer, and so we stop. And we can stop for seasons. And when we stop obeying God and walking with God, and life continues on, our journey with God was meant to continue on, and God is continuing on, then we open up great distance between ourselves and God. That's what it looks like to walk away from God. We distance ourselves from him emotionally. We disobey him or just stop obeying him. But why? Why do we stop walking with God? Abraham stopped walking with God. And in Abraham's journey, we learn why we stop walking at times with God as well. The first thing that we learn about Abraham today is that autonomy can lead us to walk away from God because it was Abraham's autonomy that led him to begin walking away from God in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, where we read, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Now, right here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, we see Abraham setting his own agenda and solving his own problems. Abraham hadn't been walking with God for very long at this point in the book of Genesis. Abraham had been called by God to leave behind his pagan father, his pagan family, and his pagan homeland and go to a new land that God would show him. 
And Abraham obeyed. He got up and he left, and he went to the land of Canaan, a journey that eventually took him into the hills of Canaan and eventually down to the south, to the arid parts of Canaan. In the land of Canaan, Abraham declared his loyalty to God and his desire to follow God for a lifetime and God only. But down in those arid reaches of the land of Canaan, Abraham ran into a famine, a problem. He and his household were having a hard time finding food. And Abraham decided to solve that problem for himself instead of trusting God. Who knows, if if God were testing Abraham to see, Abraham, will you trust me? It could have been that God intended to provide miraculously for Abraham and his household in the arid regions, just as he did on another occasion for the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. Who knows? But Abraham decided to set his own agenda and solve his own problems, and he knew that there would be food in the land of Egypt. And so Abraham set out for the land of Egypt. It's exercising us autonomy, and we need to define autonomy. Autonomy is freedom and right to set our own agenda and solve our own problems. Now, autonomy then is the very opposite of walking with God. Because you see, as we walk with God, we allow God to set our agenda. As we walk with God, when we come up against problems, We trust that God is going to show us the solution to those problems. Autonomy can be the very opposite of walking with God. And yet, at the same time, autonomy is something that we at times value greatly. We admire and esteem those who exercise their autonomy, as is the case with the lead character in the children's book, Stephanie's Ponytail, Stephanie is a little girl who exercises great autonomy. She sets her own agenda. She knows who she is, and she intends to stand out in a crowd. And so one day she asks her mom to do what no other kid in her school had done. She asks her mom to give her a ponytail so that she will stand out. Now, when Stephanie got to school that day with her ponytail, all the other kids teased her. They said, ugly, ugly, very ugly, to which Stephanie responded, it's my ponytail, and I like it. We admire that kind of self-determination. Now, ironically, the next day, all the kids showed up with ponytails as well, imitating Stephanie. And so in order to be an original every day, Stephanie had a ponytail first that came out the back, then that came out the side, then that came out the top, and ultimately that came out the front. And each day, the other students, well, they imitated her. I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but it did not end particularly well for her classmates. And we admire that kind of autonomy, that kind of do-it-herselfness, that kind of set-her-own-agenda-ness in Stephanie. But our autonomy can begin to put distance between us and God, because autonomy means that we set our own agenda and we solve our own problems. But when we press into our autonomy and hold on to our autonomy too long, we miss 
going where God wants us to go, doing what God wants us to do, and becoming the people God wants us to become. Now, we may avoid some pain. We may avoid some trouble. We may even avoid some extra work in life. But along the way, we are missing out on what God could do and what God wants us to experience. And so our autonomy can lead us to walk away from God. As we continue thinking about Abraham, though, we discover, too, that fear can lead us to walk away from God because in Genesis chapter 12, as we pick up in verse 11 through verse 13, we find that Abraham's fear led him to walk further away from God. The Bible continues, when he, that is Abraham, was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So now we see here that Abraham's fears lead him to walk away from God. You see, Abraham was afraid that they would look at, the Egyptians would look at Sarah, his wife, and realize that she was beautiful. Sarah was just on the front side of the middle point of her life. And, and Abraham feared that if the Egyptian nobles saw how beautiful Sarah was, that they would kill Abraham in order to take Sarah away from him. So he proposed a solution. He said, would you, instead of posing as my wife, pose as my sister? He concluded that if she were his sister, then the Egyptians would see that she were beautiful and would come to him for freedom and permission to court, to, to, to reach out to Sarah. And in the process, instead of being killed, Abraham would be blessed. Doors would open for Abraham. And this plan would lead to Abraham being safe. But it would come at Sarah's expense. Now, fear, like, like Abraham, Christian, the, the hero in Pilgrim's Progress, knows a little bit about fear in walking with God. I've told you before, Pilgrim's Progress was written by John Bunyan in the 1600s, and it describes a pilgrim, Christian's journey through life with God, from where he was in the city of destruction to where God has planned for him to be in the celestial city. And on this pilgrimage, on this journey through life, repeatedly, Christian runs into obstacles and he runs into help. One of the obstacles that he faces on his journey to the celestial city is a fearsome enemy, a demon named Apollyon. And Apollyon is described as a, a fearsome being covered in scales like fish, with wings like a dragon, with great feet that are powerful, with smoke for breath, and with a mouth that is absolutely filled with teeth. And Apollyon stands in the pathway in front of Christian, and he is there to stop Christian in his journey. He wants Christian to go back to the city of destruction, to submit to the forces of darkness, and to stop his quest for the celestial city and for God. 
But Apollyon makes clear that if Christian is to step one step further, he'll have to fight the demon. And so Christian does. He fights Apollyon, and the battle is pitched. It goes on for hours, and Christian nearly loses his life before drawing his sword and finally being able to defeat and best the demon Apollyon. And Apollyon fled from him. But Christian faced fear in Pilgrim's Progress. And fear can take many forms in our lives as followers of Jesus, as we walk with God. Sometimes fear takes the form of being afraid of the sacrifices and the changes in lifestyle that walking with God will require of us. Sometimes fear means that we are afraid of losing out on opportunities in life or being ridiculed by people who think we're crazy for what we do. Sometimes fear takes the form of worrying that our children will be ostracized because they are different or that they will be bullied by their peers or by a system bent against them. Sometimes fear means that we fear even for our safety itself. And fear can lead us to walk further away from God because you you see, walking with God through a lifetime requires courage. And some of the dangers that we face in this journey are very real. And sometimes the fears are just figments of our imagination. But whether the fears are real or perceived, sometimes our fear stops us from doing what it is that God wants us to do. And fear then, like Abraham, leads us to walk further away from God. Distractions can also lead us to walk away from God. And in verses 14 through 16, distractions led Abraham to walk even further away from God. We continue. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians said that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Quite a list. Distractions, you see, were all over that passage and led Abraham further and further away from God. The first distraction that led Abraham away from God was Egypt itself. Abraham had heard the legends about Egypt. You see, the Great Pyramid was probably around 600 years old when Abraham was alive, and the fertility and beauty of the Nile River and the Nile River Delta were well known across the ancient world. Abraham wanted to see the wonders that he had always heard of. It was a distraction to him. The court of Pharaoh itself was a distraction. You see, Abraham didn't just stop at the tourist destinations in Egypt. He went further into Egypt to the court of the Pharaoh himself. Abraham was expected to appear at court. That says something about Abraham's family, his background, his wealth, and his prestige. He was expected upon entering a foreign country to appear at the court of the king. He was expected and he was welcomed like a brother at court. But it also meant that Abraham had the opportunity to enjoy the pleasures of being at court, 
after having been in the tents in the hills of Canaan and in the deserts and the waste places, Abraham got to take a real bath at the court of Pharaoh, and it felt great. But when he came to the court of Pharaoh, it was just as he had feared. The Egyptians noticed Sarah, and Pharaoh took Sarah into his household. He, he made her his wife, and in exchange, he added to Abraham's great wealth. Abraham faced one distraction after another in Egypt, and they led him to walk further and further away from God. Like Abraham, Augustine faced many distractions in trying to walk with God. You may have run into Augustine if you've studied history or theology or philosophy. Frequently, he's referred to as a saint, Saint Augustine, or as a doctor of the church. Augustine lived in North Africa in the third and fourth century AD during the later part of the Roman Empire. And Augustine eventually became an ardent, passionate follower of Jesus and defender of the faith, but he did not enter adulthood that way. Augustine became an adult as a dedicated non-Christian who deeply loved the pleasures of not being a Christian. And he writes about what his life was like before he met Christ, how he met Christ, and the difference it made in his life and can make in ours in a work called The Confessions. And in The Confessions, Augustine lays out what made it so difficult to become a Christian. He talks extensively and in detail about the sins he engaged in before becoming a Christian, among which was stealing some pears. Augustine stole pears from a pear grove one day, and he said it was interesting to him looking back that he did it because he said he didn't need the pears. He wasn't hungry. And after he stole the pears, he threw them away. But he stole the pears with a group of his young men buddies. And he came to the conclusion that it was the thrill of stealing and the way that he fit in with the crowd that made him love it so much. In the confessions he wrote, but as it was not the fruit that gave me pleasure, I must have got it from the crime itself, from the thrill of having partners in sin. He sinned and he enjoyed sinning. And he knew that becoming a Christian would mean that he would give up many of those old ways of life. And even in the last days and moments before becoming a Christian, Augustine wrote later about how that old lifestyle drew him and pulled at him and held him back and distracted him from walking with God. In book eight, he wrote, I was held back by mere trifles. The most paltry inanities, all my old attachments, they plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, are you going to dismiss us? Augustine was deeply distracted. The distractions in our lives take so many forms. Sometimes it's those pleasures, those sinful behaviors that distract us as they did Augustine and Abraham. Sometimes we're distracted by our careers, and we say, I'll walk with God when I've got my career set. 
Sometimes it's a good thing, like our families. We, we say to God, I will walk with you when my family is stable and my situation is good. It's sometimes it's even the sense of freedom that we've achieved in life. We tell ourselves, it has taken me a lifetime to get the kind of freedom that I have in life right now, and I am going to live this moment in life for myself, and I'll walk with God some other time. Distractions can lead us to walk further and further away from God. Distractions led Abraham to walk away from God. And distractions, if we don't stop them, can lead us to walk away from God. But God intervened to bring Abraham back. God intervened in verses 17 through 20 to bring Abraham back and to rescue the promises that God had made to Abraham and the plan that God had for history. Verses 17 through 20 read, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent Abram away with his wife and all that he had. But the Lord, but God intervened to save the promises that he had made to Abraham and his plan for the world. You you see, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would inherit the land of Canaan, but Abraham left Canaan and went to Egypt. God had made the promise to Abraham that he would bless Abraham and through him would create a great nation, a lot of descendants, that would bless the world through that nation. And Abraham handed his wife, source of his descendants, to Pharaoh, to be Pharaoh's wife. And it seemed that the promises and the plan of God were apparently in jeopardy, but God, but the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? But God. Abraham put the promise at risk, but God intervened and sent plagues, unnamed, unidentified plagues on Pharaoh and on his household, his his court, his administration. And somehow the Egyptians were able to figure out that it was because of Sarah. And Pharaoh called Abraham in and said, what is this you have done to us? You deceived us. You told us she was your sister. I, I, I took her as my wife, and, and I made you wealthy in exchange. What, what have you done? And then, miraculously, Pharaoh sent Abraham and Sarah safely on their way. He sent them under armed guard so that they would leave, so that they would leave quickly, but they left safely. And with all the wealth that Pharaoh had added to their household, intact, and they were on their way back to the land of Canaan. But God, but God describes the very nature of the gospel itself. In the gospel, we remember that God made the world and us 
and everything in it, and he made the world so that we might walk with him. Chapter 2 of the gospel, brokenness and sin, reminds us that we disobeyed God, though. We sinned. We broke our relationship with him. We walked away from God, and we cannot repair the damage we've done. We can't get ourselves back together with God on our own. We tried. We try everything, but God... But God sent Jesus into the world, chapter 3. Jesus came. He showed us that God wants to walk with us and what it looks like. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin and disobedience. And Jesus rose again from the dead three days later, triumphant over death and sin and evil itself. But God intervened. And now because of that, in chapter 4, God offers us forgiveness. And when we accept that gift of forgiveness, we can now walk with God again, and we can help others walk with God as well. And in chapter 5, Jesus will return. He'll make the world as it is into the world as it should be, and he will keep every promise that he's made to Abraham. But God, when he, he is faithful when we are not, but God. Now, God can intervene to change our circumstances and our minds when we walk away from God. Sometimes when we walk away from God and we find ourselves facing consequences, God will rescue us from those consequences and those circumstances just as he did with Abraham. But sometimes God will leave us with the consequences of our own actions. But even when God leaves us with the consequences of our own actions, inherent in allowing us to experience difficulty is an invitation that we can come back and walk with him again. And sometimes God will sovereignly change our minds so that we recognize the error of our ways and we want to walk with him again. God can change our circumstances and our minds so that we'll come back to him. That's on God's side of the equation. But what is on our side of the equation? What is it that we are to do because of what we've seen and experienced in Abraham today. There are three things that I want to suggest to you today that we do. And the first is pray diligently for those who have walked away. Pray diligently for those who have walked away. Because plenty of people we know, we all know people who have walked away from God. And sometimes the people we know who have walked away from God are very near and dear to us. They may be friends, dear friends. They may be family members, children, parents, siblings. They may even be spouses. And when these people walk away from God, it can hurt us deeply. But what we do is we pray diligently for these people. We could reject them. We, we could turn on them and be angry with them. But what we do instead is pray diligently and love them because God can intervene to bring those who have walked away back. Let's pray diligently for those who have walked away. But in a room this size with this many people, I need to say too, come back now if you have been walking away because some of you will recognize that you are the ones who have walked away. 
As we talked about it earlier, you may find that you are the one who's distanced yourself emotionally from God. You may have disobeyed God. You may have just stopped obeying God. And as you've looked at the life of Abraham, you've probably figured out why. It could be your own sense of autonomy. It could be fear that grips you. It could just be the distractions that have wrapped themselves around the throat of your life. Whatever the reason, if you've walked away from God, come back now. Finally, don't walk away. Walking with God begins at the very latest, at the point at which we sense God's call to come to him. It gets intense as we become followers, disciples of Jesus. It it endures through every chapter of our lives, and it is pointing us toward eternal glory. Walking with God is meant to last for a lifetime. So now, if you have begun walking with God, don't ever walk away. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.